Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us today for the ASHP Advocating for Impact podcast, where every episode covers a policy issue impacting the practice of pharmacy. We'll do our best to translate the politics and the legalese to help you understand how these issues impact your practice and your profession. I'm Tom Kraus, Vice President of Government Relations for ASHP, and today I'm joined by Jillian Schulte-Wall. Jillian is Senior Director for Health and Regulatory Policy and ASHP's resident expert on engaging federal agencies. Today we're going to discuss some of the flexibility CMS has put in place to support telehealth during the COVID-19 pandemic, and in particular, a change related to supervision requirements and what we can do to make that change permanent. So over the course of the COVID-19 response, we've seen a range of regulatory flexibilities implemented by CMS. And one of the most important that we see uh, to impacting pharmacy practice has been this change related to supervision requirements. So what CMS did is they said that during the pandemic, Services that require direct supervision by a Medicare provider can now be supervised virtually through real-time audiovisual technologies. And ASHP sees this as one of the most important flexibilities to preserve um, after the pandemic subsides. So Jillian, what is direct supervision and what circumstances is it required for Medicare payments? Sure. So direct supervision, it sounds more complicated than it is. I mean, it really, it is for services that are provided incident to a physician or a non-physician practitioner. So the non-physician practitioner is really just shorthand for anyone who is a Medicare-eligible practitioner and then, of course, physician. So in most cases, these services are going to be provided incident to a physician's services. Um, And it's the level of supervision that the physician or the NPP has to exert over the pharmacist or the clinical staff member who is providing those services. So for services that are being provided in physicians' offices, the level of supervision is, that is required is what CMS calls direct, which means that the physician or the NPP has to be in the office suite and immediately available during provision of those services. Um, so, so, for instance, this kind of contrasts with general supervision, which is what you see in hospitals and outpatient departments, where um, the physician has to be on the same campus, but not immediately available in the same office suite. So there's just a slightly higher level of supervision for physicians' offices um, that's required for incident two services. And it's only for those incident two services. It doesn't apply for um, just regular course of business um, work that pharmacists and other clinical staff provide. And so just as a practical matter, how does allowing these services to be supervised virtually change pharmacy practice? Well, there are a couple of things it does. I mean, one of the things that is definitely a big change is this this allows for a pharmacist during, for instance, a situation like the pandemic, to be able to provide services to a patient without the physician physically in the same location. And so that was something that became an issue right away when COVID-19 struck. You know, we had pharmacists who were very concerned about the um the services they were providing and having to be in close proximity to all the other clinicians, uh, because it does really increase the chances that everyone will get sick at the same time if you're all in the same office suite all the time. So this is an extra level of kind of safety um, for a lot of our members. But the other thing it does is it allows a lot more flexibility 
across the board. So rather than um, preventing a pharmacist from providing services unless the physician is absolutely in the next room, you have a situation where you have a lot more um, leeway to schedule when it's convenient for a patient. Um, you can It's a lot more leeway for the physician to be able to provide services from an, an additional location rather than having to travel to the office suite. And if you're in a rural or underserved area where you may not have a physician available for large chunks of the time where you have a clinic that's you know, for instance, staffed by an NP most of the time, or nurse practitioner, you're going to have a lot more um, workaround and, and flexible kind of scheduling than you would have under normal circumstances where you have to have that in-person direct supervision. And presumably this allows pharmacists to play a role in providing some of the services that they would normally have to provide uh, in, in the clinic. Um, if they can be provided remotely, they could presumably they could do that um, now from their home via telehealth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it gives clinicians flexibility that they don't currently or haven't in the past had. So, uh, you know, pre-COVID, when telehealth was still kind of rolling out, there were really strict rules about how telehealth was provided. So you had to have, for instance, an originating site, which actually it would require the patient to come to the site of care, and then you might have a physician who's remote um, call in on this line to talk to that patient at the site of care. And now there's just so much more flexibility. The physician could be at home, and you might have the pharmacist who is seeing the patient, and the patient may not even be um, in person. So there is a whole um, new world of different configurations that theoretically could come into play now that there is virtual supervision for these services. Great. Thanks for that explanation. I think, you know, as ASHP, we view this as an important step toward um, providing some flexibility and greater independence of how pharmacists uh, can practice, though it still preserves uh, an ultimate requirement for um, supervision. And, I, and so I want to talk a little bit about um, you know, steps that we can take to advocate for this uh, flexibility to be made permanent. And I want to come back and talk a little bit about what this does not achieve uh, and, and how this contrasts with some of our other advocacy goals. So I, I think one of the things that we can do that would be most effective to um, make this permanent is to, to send a note to CMS and, and advocate for that uh, to be made permanent. CMS has invited uh, organizations to let them know what kind of flexibilities, particularly around telehealth, they would like to, um, we would like to see made permanent. And this is this is chief among them for, for ASHP. So we are sending a letter to CMS asking them to make this virtual supervision change permanent. We have asked other health systems, physician organizations, pharmacy organizations, students groups uh, to join us in that request. And you can find a a link to that letter in the show notes for this podcast, as well as an, an opportunity for your organization to sign on to that letter. We'd encourage you to do that. Um, it'll be very helpful for CMS to see that this request is not just coming from ASHP, but from a wide range of, of groups, including groups representing different types of organizations uh, and different clinician uh, groups. You know, I also mentioned um, you know, we, we should have a conversation about what this is not. So I've heard a few questions in response to this issue saying things like, well, you know, why is ASHP advocating for 
um, flexibility of this in the supervision requirement instead of advocating for provider status and greater independent practice by pharmacists. And I've also heard questions like, um, you know, does this change allow pharmacists to bill some of the higher level E&M codes that we, we really want to be able to bill um, to make pharmacist-led um, services um, economically viable? And I want to distinguish the, these things because those, those issues are both very important and they are things that we are definitely advocating for aggressively, but they are viewed separately by CMS. So with regard to um, why, why we are advocating for more flexibility um, for virtual supervision, which, as Jalan mentioned, is primarily impacting incident to billing, but it still preserves the incident to billing um, framework. We're doing that because we want to make sure that, that pharmacists have this uh, additional flexibility um, under the current payment model. And we are simultaneously continuing to advocate for provider status for pharmacists. And in fact, in the COVID context, we are specifically asking CMS to give pharmacists authority to bill Medicare for a few specific services like COVID-19 testing, like administration of vaccinations, and hopefully, uh, ultimately, administration of, of therapies that could be identified to um, respond to COVID-19. So I think it's still very important that we be advocating for independent practice by pharmacists and the independent ability to bill Medicare. But that should not prevent us from saying, hey, um, under this current uh, payment system that we currently live with, let's make sure that pharmacists have as much flexibility as possible. And then secondly, with regard to whether this provides uh, the ability for pharmacists to bill higher level E&M codes, um, that is again another issue that we are pursuing aggressively. ASHP has independently uh, raised this concern with CMS. Um, we are working with uh, a, a series of out, outside organizations across um, pharmaceutical manufacturers, clinician groups, insurers to say that um, comprehensive medication management um, is a service that is, you know, potentially very complex and requires a higher level of billing than some of the low-level uh, E&M codes that um, pharmacists are often allowed to bill for. And um, and so we think it is if, if CMS wants to provide that medication therapy management um, and comprehensive medication management, they need to let pharmacists bill at higher level codes. So that's very important uh, as an advocacy issue, but it's still separate from uh, this direct supervision issue. And so I just want to make sure folks um, recognize that, that we are advocating for those issues as well, um, but we don't want that to come uh, kind of at the expense of, of um, getting a win on this, this direct supervision issue, um, given that we see an opportunity to provide some flexibility for pharmacist practice. And, and Jillian, you know, on that note, we have, we've actually been in communication with CMS on some of these flexibilities. Do you want to just mention um, some of the other flexibilities that we're asking CMS to provide? Yeah, actually, um, so we are in the midst of finalizing our comment letter to CMS on the regulatory flexibilities that they've rolled out um, during the public health emergency related to COVID. And um, generally speaking, we are asking for them to maintain 
all of the current flexibilities related to telehealth permanently. So that would include the virtual supervision piece. And I should note, too, here that we're anticipating some other reimbursement rules that have a relationship to the supervision requirements as well. So, for instance, the physician fee schedule rule, which is released every single year, is due out in the next couple of weeks here. And just like we did last year, we will probably also continue to advocate that um, general supervision be rolled out to all physician fee schedule paid services too, as it is for the outpatient departments of hospitals. Um, we feel like the services provided are so similar that it doesn't really make sense to have a differential level of supervision for PFS services versus those provided in hospital outpatient departments. So why not just make things simple and have them all provided under general supervision? Because in reality, virtual supervision sort of functions more like general supervision in that you don't have to be immediately available. You have to be immediately available, but you don't have to be physically right next door. So um, those telehealth services, we are asking for those to be made permanent. We are asking for virtual supervision to be made permanent. And we're also asking for some of the things that Tom just talked about. So things like having um, the ability to build the highest level codes under E&M and for telehealth um, when you're providing an incident to service and the physician is involved and you can meet all of those requirements, we believe CMS should state quite clearly and explicitly that uh, the, the physician or NTP billing for those services can bill at 99215 if that is warranted by the services provided. So we are still advocating for that in, in the regulatory flexibilities piece um, as well. And there's some other ancillary issues that are included in there around diagnostic testing and things like that related to reimbursement for pharmacists and um, for preemption of state laws. So there's a lot that goes into these CMS letters. And so you might see, you know, the virtual supervision pulled out in one letter, but rest assured it's been wrapped into others that include all of these sort of um, global issues we're seeing around telehealth and around COVID generally, and also just around pharmacist practice long-term. Well, Jillian, thanks for, for talking us through some of those um, recent flexibilities for COVID-19, uh, in particular, um, flexibilities related to telehealth and virtual supervision. Again, um, listeners can find the letter that we've discussed in the show notes of this podcast, and we'd encourage you to consider uh, asking your uh, C-suite and your government relations teams of your organizations to consider signing on to that letter. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.